0: When the Holy One, blessed is he, presented the Torah at Sinai, not a bird chirped, not a fowl flew, not an ox lowed, not an angel ascended, not a seraph proclaimed holy. The sea did not roll, and no creature made a sound. All of the vast universe was silent and mute. It was then that the voice went forth and proclaimed, I am Adonai, your God. When God revealed himself to Israel, the world fell silent because this moment was pivotal not only to Israel, but to all of creation. Had Israel not accepted the Torah, the universe would have come to an end. That's pretty powerful. And it is very easy to understand why in this process of the giving of the commandments, which we looked at last week, why it begins with these words, Anochi Adonai Elohecha. I am Adonai. I am Hashem. I am, the mo- I am Adonai, your God. That's how it starts. But there's a, there's a curious follow-up to that that I wonder if you ever like thought about. He says, I am Adonai, your God. And 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 what comes next? What you would think would be like at this? Everything I just read. The world is in absolute silence. Everything is still. God speaks. You would think Adonai, uh, 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 Anochia, Adonai Lohecha, and then Master of the world, ruler of all create. Like something you know, super powerful to to describe who he who he is. But he says, I am Adonai, your God, who has taken you out of the land of Egypt from the house of slavery. That's sort of a letdown, almost. It's like, give me, give me, pout. No, I took you out of that bad place you were in. That's who I am. I mean, no you know, superpower, masterful, master of the universe and beyond. Now, there are a number of reasons within Jewish thought as to why he chooses this description, I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Rashi explains that it's to dispel confusion that there was more than one God in action. What he means is to, to imagine that the, God is saying today in love, I am the Lord, your God, I want to connect with you. We're going to have a relationship, and this is going to be really sweet and awesome. But then back in Egypt, he was killing things and turning water into blood and all just massive, like, warrior God. But Rashi says, so he wanted to say, I'm the same God, okay? That God who did that, that's also me. And so don't get confused that there are two gods at work here. It's it's just me. Another idea is that Israel wasn't at creation, but they were present at the Exodus. So again, I'm the one who did all of that stuff that you lived through and survived to come out, so you should listen to me. I am that God who did that for you, so you should listen. Another suggestion, God is saying, I did all this for you. And now, these are the rules and responsibilities that you will follow. I did it in love, now do your part. But I have another suggestion. And it's not unique. Probably nothing I have ever set up here is unique. Not one thing. Okay, but I think it's powerful and probable. I am Adonai, your God, who has taken you out of the land of Egypt from the house of slavery. Translation. Don't ever forget where you came from. Don't ever forget. You know how it feels to be treated horribly, less than human, abused, neglected, scorned, and hated. I heard your cries and I saved you from that. And now it's your turn to be. Holy as I am holy, that is to be set apart, to be different, to be different than that world that I brought you out of. And this set of instructions that I'm about to give you, yes, these 10 words, but, but more than that, they will serve as your overarching guide. But it is within them that are the ways in which you will treat each other. And it is imperative that you never forget what you've been through And where you came from. And what has been done for you. And then in this, that was the Ten Commandments. And then this week's portion we move into Mishpatim, ordinances. And we see God through Moses having a conversation about what it's gonna look like to live this God life. And, And a guiding principle from the first commandment runs throughout all of the Torah as a reminder. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt the memory of who how why they were brought out of egypt is to be their their moral compass the first thing he says don't forget You're the chosen people, chosen to show the world how people should be treated, chosen to bring light to the nations, chosen to share the goodness of humanity, chosen to show mercy. I am Adonai, your God, who's taken you out of the land of Egypt from the house of slavery. Remember where you came from. And of course, no one could say this better than Jonathan Sachs. May his memory be for a blessing. At the heart of Israel was an idea almost unthinkable to the ancient mind. That God intervenes in history to liberate slaves, that the supreme power is on the side of the powerless. It's no accident that Israel was born as a nation under conditions of slavery. It's carried throughout history the memory of those years, the bread of affliction and the bitter herbs of servitude, because the people of Israel serves as an eternal reminder to itself and the world of the moral necessity of liberty. And the vigilance needed to protect it. And in Parsha Mishpatim, which we're reading this week from the book of Exodus, we read more than once, more than once, do not oppress the stranger. You know the feelings of a stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. It literally, it says, it says, don't oppress a stranger. V'atim yidatim et nefesh hager. You know The soul of a stranger, it says. You know down deep in your guts what it feels like to be treated, mistreated, abused, hated. The soul, you know the depths of this feeling. Don't forget that. And more than the ten, all of these words, when you do them, you can change the world. That's what's supposed to happen. That's what was happening at Mount Sinai. That's why the world was completely silent. It was going to be, supposed to be, a whole new world after that. Now the irony, the irony of Mishpatim is that the portion begins with how to treat your slaves, which is difficult. This is the critics' playground. This is the, like the easiest ground in the world for the, for the critic of God, for the critic of the Bible. Yeah, right. Sure, love people. Uh-huh. Treat them right. And then acknowledge and sign off on slavery. Give me a break, the critic says. Of course, all the while missing the point entirely. It's not an easy point to make. But we need to understand, of course, in this regard, and this is not the focus, talking about biblical slavery and slavery in the Torah, it, it could be a series in and of itself because there's a lot that goes on here. But the basic thing that's important to understand here, the world was different 3,500 years ago. Did, did, did you know that? There, there were slaves everywhere. Slavery existed. The discussion Uh, As I said, there, there are all kinds of things around that. But the undeniable reality is that slavery, for a variety of reasons, was real. And this text, these ordinances, were intended to change what that looked like, both in the short term and the long term. And what I mean is the idea that slaves, servants, whatever, slaves is the real word, were created in the image of God and could not be treated as cows and sheep, that was a new thought. As a matter of fact, Judaism, Jews in in the Roman period, by the way, you you read the New Testament and you read things about slaves be good to your masters and all this stuff, so it was still going on. But, But Jews were despised because of the way that they treated their slaves, that they would arbitrarily free them because they just felt like being nice, or that they didn't treat them like chattel. Rome said, you're destroying it for everybody else by being nice to them. Stop. But the point of the Torah is to acknowledge the reality of the situation, even one that was not good, and change it. As Rambam taught, institutions, humanity, but institutions do not change overnight. Slavery was not abolished in the United States until the 19th century. It's sad. It's terrible. It's the truth. But my point there is that things like that just don't happen overnight. And as wrong as slavery was, is, it's still happening, amazingly, still happening. It would take time to change human nature to change. And that was part of the point of Mishpatim, the acknowledgement the acknowledgement that you were once here. You were once here, and that should certainly affect how you see and treat people. And it is an undeniable fact that pro-slavery causes used the Bible to defend slavery. But at the same time, it is out of these pages that the idea of abolishing slavery was also drawn to say, to change anyway, hopefully, human nature itself. But back to, back to commandment one, I'm Adonai, your God, who's taken you out of the land of Egypt from the house of slavery. Embedded within that is something else. It's called Yirat Hashem, the fear of God. The fear of God. Exemplified, we find in these laws about slaves and strangers and widows and orphans, the ones you hate is in there, even the ones you love. The fear of God. Listen, if God brought you out, would you be so bold ever to treat people unkindly? How? How could could you do it? To forget where you came from, the mercy and love shown to you? That would be to demonstrate no fear of God whatsoever. There's fear of God, of course, in the sense of awe, like of wonder. But there is legitimate fear of God that when you disobey God, you pay a price for that. That should be real, especially when you've been rescued from something. You know, speaking of slavery, Yeshua talks about it. I won't read it all, but the section in, in the Gospels where, remember the unforgiving servant? He went, he owed his master all this money, and his master said, pay me. He goes, I can't. And he got down on his knees, and the master said, okay, I, I forgive you. And then somebody else who owed this servant money came and begged, and he said, no, go to jail. And the other servants heard, and they said to the master, the big master, look what he did, and what did he say? How could you ever, ever after what's been shown to you in mercy, demonstrate that level of unkindness to another? And Yeshua ends that by saying, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Gosh, sometimes Yeshua says things that are really hard, to take. And yeah, he's talking about forgiveness, but you know, I hope you can see the relevance there. It's dangerous to consider someone beneath you. And it's terrifying to think that we could be could, could so easily forget where we've come from. And he's saying to Israel, don't ever do that. Number one commandment, don't ever do that. And Mishpatim continues to draw all through on the remember where you came from idea. It says this, you shall not wrong a stranger or oppress him for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, guess what God's gonna do? He's gonna surely hear their cry and then he's gonna kill you. That's what it says. I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath will burn, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives will become widows and your children orphans. If you ever take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body. And what else shall he sleep? He's saying, no matter if he's paid you back or not, at the end of the day, give him back his cloak. And if he cries to me, I will hear because I am compassionate, God says. And then, of course, this doozy. If you see the donkey of someone you hate crouching under its burden, would you refrain from helping him? The Torah asks, you shall help repeatedly with him. Do you hear Yeshua speaking all around and through this? You should. Let's pause for a moment of tragic consideration on that point, though. You'll remember back in 2018 when Andy Stanley came under fire for his comments about unhitching from the Old Testament, right? Now, listen, he, he, Andy, Andy backed up on that, and it's true that he said you can't, you can't take one statement out of a three-part 45 45 minute each message. Well, Andy doesn't talk for 45 minutes. But anyway, he said, you can't take one statement out of context and crucify me for it because he got crucified for saying we should unhitch from the Old Testament. Now, I don't know Andy Stanley. I'm not his judge. I don't get to do that. So I'm not going to like, let's roll Andy out here and steamroller over him. But I do want to quote something he said. It doesn't have anything to do with him as a person. Church leaders, first century church leaders, unhitched the church from the worldview, value system, and regulations of the Jewish scriptures. Stanley said, Peter, James, Paul, elected to unhitch the Christian faith from the Jewish scriptures, and my friends, we must as well. That's the quote. Now, to plant that idea in its plain hearing, no matter what he really meant or not, to plant that idea in in the hearts of God's children, that's not a good thing. Church leaders unhitch the church from the worldview, value system, and regulations. Do you know what we're reading in the Torah this week? We're reading... The fundamental worldview and value system given to the Jewish people found in the law, the words, the ordinances, the things that you should do. And it starts with don't forget you have been given so much. Don't mistreat anyone. What a disgustingly horrible, corrupt value system! Who would ever want to be connected to that? The tragic fact is that all th- this stuff is dismissed. This is dismissed. Old Testament law. We don't do it. It's bad. It's bad. Abrogated, done away with. But I'm going to say this. If that is legalism, what I've described to you today, if that is legalism, bring it on. Because I think that's probably going to end up really well for us in the end. Go really go really well for us in the end. This is why Yeshua started his ascent to the mount where he sat down and opened his mouth, all of these very Jewish idioms, comparing Moses to teaching the people the commandments on the mountain. But that's why he opened that by saying, don't presume that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill I didn't come to abolish, I came to remind you. I came to teach you the basic tenets, the fundamentals of belief in the Torah. That is is what Messianic Judaism is built on, that Yeshua did not come to abolish mishpatim, but to strengthen it. And part of the parables and lessons and rebukes and encouragements is remembering where you came from, that we are all created in the image of God. And you know, last week we talked about learning from all people, right? And I read you from, from Pirkei Avot, I read you Benzoma's words. Who is wise? He who learns from all men. And what we should learn from Mishpatim and Messiah is, you know, You should also, you should learn from all people, but you should love all people. Oh, here he goes again. Say it again. You should learn to love all people. Which is certainly the harder part, but as God told Israel, I brought you out, don't forget. And maybe you weren't in Egypt or Sinai, maybe your ancestors weren't there. So how about this, Yeshua saying, I brought you out don't forget. It's the same story. You've been saved and redeemed. So let me give you a very quick map. I'm going to give you the blueprint of how to not forget. And again, from Pirke Avot, one of my favorite rabbinic texts from the Mishnah. The ethics of the fathers. Last week, Ben Zoma. This week, we start with Hillel. You ready? Easy. Tuck these away. Four parts. Do not judge your fellow man until you have reached his place. Do not judge your fellow man until you've reached his place. In other words, until you've walked a mile in his moccasins, you don't have much to say, right? Then you'll know what they're going through. Number two, that was Hillel. Then Shammai used to say, make your study of the Torah a fixed practice. Translation, how can you possibly know what to do if you don't know? Then he says, speak little, but do much. Once you know, don't talk about doing it. Do it. That's Shemai. Then Gamaliel comes and says, do his will as though it were your will, so that he will do your will as though it were his. Translation, these things we read, these, these commandments, these, these laws, are God's will for his people. These are God's will for his people. And, and do them, and, and this is a strong statement, but you become like God, which is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to look like God. You're supposed to be holy and do these good things. So what, what Gamliel is saying is, listen, in that if you live out these things that I'm teaching you, that the Torah is teaching you, and thus your will and God's will become indistinguishable. God's will and yours are in alignment so that everything you do is what God does and vice versa. Wouldn't that be amazing? That's what Gamliel said. And last, his son comes, Shimon. Study is not the most important thing, but actions. That one's pretty easy, pretty straightforward. We can read Parsha Mishpatim all day. We can read this. We can, we can study the Gospels. We can quote Scripture left and right. We can, we can do it all, every day, all the time. But if we don't implement it, what is the point? What is the point? Seriously. That's sort of what they said to Yeshua when he said, but, 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 we, but, we, but we knew all the Scriptures, but we could chant the Torah perfectly all the way through. We spent all this time I don't even know you. You don't look anything like what the the thing actually says. Study is not the most important thing, but actions. Even if we don't fully understand or even embrace helping the donkey of the one we hate, it says. We must take action. And because... Israel knew how it felt to be mistreated and hated. God heard their cries and responded, and he asked us to do the same. There's a very interesting conclusion in the Parsha, and I'm going to conclude with this. What the people said when God gave all of these instructions. It's one of the most famous lines of Torah. Kol asher <laughs> Eli, don't say anything about my Hebrew, please. <laughs> 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 literally all that Hashem has said <laughs> we will do and hear note the order do and hear now there are multiple interpretations offered but the one I love is that when it says hear what is saying here? the meaning is understanding, comprehend. We will do, and in the process, we will understand and comprehend. Everything that that Hashem has said, we will do. What it means is whether they understood the full value, purpose, interpretation of the Mishpatin, the commands, they trusted the source of where they were coming from to know that ultimately they were for good. And so they said, fine, we'll do it. And as they did them, the meaning would become clear. Rabbi Twersky, psychiatrist, Orthodox Jew, phenomenal writer, uh, addiction specialist, all kinds of great things. He has a masterful insight to the human mind. But speaking of action, he, he, he writes in this book, we have biological and psychological drives that can overcome inertia, that is, to not take action. But in absence of such drives, we would do nothing. This is why we, lack, we may lack motivation to do something we're told to do, even though we may know that it's the right and proper action to take. The motivation we have may not be sufficient to overcome our natural inertia or apathy. However... If we are determined to act, even in the absence of any strong desire to do so, and we force ourselves to do so, we overcome the inertia. Once the inertia is overcome, the motivation that is the right and proper thing to do kicks in. Thus the attitude fake it till you make it is not hypocritical. Which is in essence. Na sevanishma. We'll get started and we'll figure it out along the way. In Strive for Truth, Rabbi Eliyahu Desler, an influential rabbi and scholar, philosopher, expands upon this principle, saying, it is indeed possible to generate love for another person by doing something for him or her. He says that the common belief that you give to those whom you love is fallacious. The reverse is true. You love to those whom you give. If you find yourself disliking someone, do something nice for him or for for her. Affect follows action. I would say action affects affect. Doing something is sometimes the thing it takes to understand it. So going back to the very top in conclusion. Doing things. Experiencing the action. Israel had done Egypt. They got it. They got the lesson, but God didn't want you to forget they had seen god move in kindness to him and to them and the 10 commandments start with that reminder and then mishpatim comes along and says remember and do these great things the ha-mishpatim asher tasim lifnechem These are the ordinances, Moses, that you shall place before them. These are the things I want them to do as people who have been saved and redeemed from something so terrible that it transformed their mind to be people who perform acts of kindness. They're good parents. They're committed participants of society. They're not negligent. They're not hateful. They care for widows and poor and the orphans. They're good spouses. And they're even... At that time, good masters. Because he is the one who rescued them. And he clearly states right from the beginning, remember how I treated you and treat others that way. And for you, this is what I always want you to remember. Ready? I am the God who brought you out of blank. And your page, if it's like mine, I need like six or seven pages of notebook paper with, I am the God who brought you out of blank. I am the God who brought you out of blank. And I just fill it in and fill it in and fill it in. But the point is, what is the blank? How many blanks? And how much does that affect what you do out there according to the instructions that we receive from God through the mouth of Moses and from Our Rabbi Yeshua. This is who we're supposed to be. You got it? Shabbat shalom.